Hello, and welcome back to the Nourish with Purpose podcast. As always, I'm so glad you're here listening to this week's episode. This week, I it's a long one, so I'm not going to make this intro super long, just a few things I want to touch base on before we jump into the episode, okay? So first, if you have not left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would greatly appreciate that. And then let me know because I'll get you entered into the Wellness Bundle giveaway. And I'm drawing for that at the end of the year, and that is quickly sneaking up on us. So just always want to remind you of that. If you share that you're listening to this episode on social media of any kind, just let me know and you get an additional entry into that giveaway. Getting into a little bit of a catch-up, This last weekend, I officially ran the half marathon. I did the Lincoln Havsey, and I am still very much physically feeling the effects of that. I just feel like I've been zapped of energy this week, but I'm glad I did it, glad I got it over with. My goal was to finish in under about like an 845 mile, and it was roughly my goal. I wasn't going to kill myself to run faster, but... I had an eight minute, 12, or yeah, eight minute and 12 second mile average pace, which I finished then at like an hour and 49 minutes, which I thought was pretty, pretty good for me. And it it was well faster than my goal. And I think when you're in that atmosphere, you just feel motivated to run faster because you've got, gosh, how many thousands of people run that every single year. So it was a, a really fun experience. Um, really neat atmosphere. So we'll see if if I do it again. Training for that took a lot of time. I'm definitely going to start listening to my body now and rest and maybe incorporate some running on the days when it's nicer. But with it getting colder, I am probably not going to be the one to get outside and run in snow or in those types of conditions because I just don't have to. So we also had that time change and so the days are getting so much shorter which means I'm trying to get up earlier and I would say 5 a.m. is the goal. It, it really depends on the morning but utilizing the sunlight we have in the morning to get my day started so then maybe I can wrap up my day a little bit earlier is something I've really been enjoying. Yesterday I was recording a workout for balance which is that membership platform I have. It has workouts but next week we have a reset and recharge challenge going on so I'm recording seven different Pilates and strength exercises and I had started recording at like 3 30 and then my camera died and then I tried recording again and the sun was already setting and it was like maybe 4 30. I'm like oh my gosh like I am now gonna have to factor that in because I definitely did not yesterday and it was like the sun was setting and my camera was getting really dark. I'm like yeah this is not gonna work but I think the best thing that we can do for our body is kind of take the seasons as they are and not force ourselves to work extra strenuous in the evenings if it's dark. I really am a huge advocate for sleeping with the seasons and so I've noticed recently we've been in bed by like 9 or 10 and I'll just lay and read for a little bit but because I want to get up earlier there's nothing wrong with going to bed a little bit earlier as well and I think in the winter 
we want to keep going as fast as maybe we did in those warmer months. And that's just not really how I believe our bodies are made to function. I mean, we live in a society where it's really hard to not show up to work you know, when you should be. Like, I'm not saying you can just neglect all your responsibilities, but if you have the opportunity to live more in tune with the seasons, I would encourage you to try that out, right? Set your clock back a little bit earlier in the morning, go to sleep a little bit earlier, eat a little bit earlier, right? It's it's okay for you to adjust with seasons and not feel like you have to be so rigid in your everyday schedule and routine that you can't change. And I think that's something that has been hard for me to learn, especially as I've gone into health and wellness and all of those things is just understanding that our bodies are not machines. And as much as I would love to wake up at 5 a.m. and, you know, just really have very firm structure in my day, I know that's not always possible and our bodies aren't really made for that. And so just know it's okay if it takes you longer to get up in the morning or it's okay if by eight o'clock you're tired, like go to bed. You don't have to stay up and study or fill every second of your day with something just to feel productive. You can actually find a lot of productivity in just resting and preparing your body for the colder months because they're here and they're coming (laughs) very quickly. And uh, I just, I think it's something that's important to remind you of because it's something I very often forget is that our bodies aren't made to function 24-7 at a high capacity. Like, take these months, let your body rest. It's okay. The world will keep spinning. But that leads me into the segment of how I'm nourishing my mind, body, and spirit. So how I am nourishing my body is I've been striving to get 30 grams of protein for each breakfast. And I had posted about this on my Instagram story about how like my past mindset would have been like, like for example, I make three eggs and then I do a half a slice of toast with some Greek yogurt, bananas, or some sort of fruit, and then a nut butter on top. And my past self would have been like, oh my gosh, well, three eggs, that's already 270 calories. Like how can you then have a slice of bread? Like that's that's a pretty calorie dense breakfast. And myself now is like, okay, yeah, maybe it's calorie dense, but it's also nutrient dense. And our body needs the core four is what I call them, or a starchy carb, healthy fat, lean protein or protein of some sort, and a fiber in the form of a fruit or vegetable for you to feel very satisfied and full until your next meal and finding that mindset shift and kind of having that realization of like oh my gosh like I really have healed my relationship with food and a big piece of that is the coaching work that I do is because I'm able to help women through that it's almost like I'm giving myself lessons on every call with somebody else it's like oh yeah okay I need to remind myself, like, it's okay if you're eating more food, your body needs it, instead of neglecting your body with food and really trying to stick so strictly to numbers or calories, and that just provides a lot of extra stress that you don't need. And so focusing on a protein-heavy breakfast with, of course, balance, that's what I talk about all the time, those core four that is what truly is going to satisfy you and it it makes me feel really good and have energy for the day ahead. How I am nourishing my spirit is I have been waking up and I've been doing this for a while, but waking up and stretching 
and taking that time in complete silence in the dark. Actually, I don't turn on any lights, complete darkness, and I just stretch and then I'll sit with myself for about five minutes and try not to really talk or like I said, listen to anything. There's no lights on. So it's a really special time for me to just focus on my thoughts and take time in the beginning part of my day because I know the rest of my day is going to snowball and it's probably going to start to feel kind of crazy and I'm going to get stressed out at various times in the day. So just taking that time, kind of sacred time in the morning for myself where I know if it's early enough, there's very minimal distractions that can keep me from doing that. Lastly, how I am nourishing my mind is reading. And this is not something that's new, but it's something that I have tried to incorporate instead of scrolling late in the evening. So I put my phone away about eight o'clock and then, like I said, it gets dark so early now. So I'll actually get in bed and then read most nights it's about 30 minutes Um, and I'm on my 22nd book of the year which my goal was 20 so I'm really proud of myself except for I started this new book without knowing how many pages were in it and there's like 6,732 pages I'm like okay like I probably won't be finishing this before the new year but maybe we'll see it's just funny because on my kindle it shows you like the percentage of how far you are and I think I'm on page like a hundred and I don't know, 50 or something. And it's like, you're 27% done. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like in any other book, I would be 50% done, but it's okay. It's, it's, uh, it's a good book. It's interesting. And I can't think of what the name is. Oh, The Haven House, maybe. If you've read that book, please let me know if it's worth it. Because like I said, with it being 6,000 pages, I don't want to waste my time reading something just to get like halfway into it and be disappointed. So let me know, DM me, message me if you've read it and if you liked those books. But with that, I think we should go ahead and jump into the episode today because it's one I'm so excited to share with you. It's about all things that I love, sourdough, canning, homesteading, having chickens, having a garden. And I am so happy that I could have on my friend Emily for this episode because she is the perfect person to talk to you about this. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in. Today I have on Emily. Emily was a crucial part in me kind of starting my whole homesteading journey. So I thought she would be the perfect person to have come talk about sourdough and canning and homesteading and really just what life looks like for her. Um, Because like I said, she was that piece that just really got me on board with homesteading, living, not even a slower life. We talked about this before we started recording this but it's not necessarily a slower pace of life but just looks a little different than most people I would say so Emily thank you so much for being here and being willing to chat with me more about all things that I know you're passionate about thanks so much for having me on I'm excited to talk to you today about everything Oh my gosh, me too. You who don't know, Emily and I actually met. We both worked at a hospital together and then she ended up moving. And as soon as she moved, I'm like, okay, I'm out of here too. When we talked, I felt like we aligned with so many beliefs and what we wanted our lives to look like. So when she wasn't there anymore, I'm like, I'm not going to be there anymore. So that's kind of how we met. And Emily, do you just want to go ahead and share more about yourself, where you're living now and what life looks like? 
Yes. So um, we moved out to Nebraska when uh, my husband got a job out there right out of college. We lived out there for probably about two and a half, three years. Um, Bailey and I yeah, met at the hospital there. We worked together. And I think our friendship started off when I we were sit- I remember sitting in the office together. Nobody was around us. And I had this little secret, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to be moving. So I, t- I looked over at her. I said, hey, by the way, if you want like a full time job, I'm going to be moving soon. And I had not told anybody. I was like, I cannot tell anybody. But for some reason, I just felt like I'm like, okay, I can trust Bailey. Like she seems normal and like somebody I could trust with this uh, information. And then it's just started from there. So um, it was just so sad leaving though, because we had just create such a good friendship and we really aligned on so much. Sitting in the office and we had just met and you're like, I was so worried you would hate me because like we both interviewed for the full-time position and I got the <laughs> Yes, yes. Emily had been working there for obviously way, you know, a few months longer than I had, maybe four or six months. I think I was like six months, maybe yeah, six months before you came. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, I don't hate you at all. Like I'm fine working part-time. And then from there, I'm like, okay, this is going to be good. Cause I could just, like you said, I could just tell I could trust you. I'm like, this is going to be a good work friend to have. And then obviously yes. it into more than just being work friends. Yes, yes. We had so much fun. Together. And then we would just, yeah, talk all day about stuff outside of like what we were doing outside of work. And it was it was nice to have somebody that, you know, my age too, and that we really just aligned on so much with our life. And um, it's kind of funny, you know, where we are now. And But I'm just so sad we're so far apart now. I know. I know. I was thinking about that. I'm like, we, everything we dreamt of when we were at work is our reality now, which is insane. Right. Right. Yeah. We were obviously uh, hard at work, you know, dreaming of our life outside of it. <laughs> okay. What's the quickest way we can get out of this and into yes. doing all the things? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So where are you living now? You want to go ahead and share that? Yeah. So we're back in Illinois. We actually are from Illinois. Uh, Central Illinois part. Um, we both um, grew up about probably 30 minutes away from each other. We met in college. Um, we always knew we wanted to come back eventually. Uh, timing wise, it was a little early from what we were wanting, but it actually, you know, hindsight, we it was perfect. So I couldn't have imagined, you know, being in Nebraska still and just, you know, the life that we have now is everything that I had wanted. And um, Luke's family has a family farm. So that's why we knew we always were going to be back in the area. So it just really worked out to come back sooner than later. And we moved back in with our parents. When we moved, we sold our house there and that was really scary. We're just like, okay, we have nowhere to live. Um, we're on the house hunt now. And so we moved back in with our parents. We were there probably about a month or two before we found our house. Um, and it just worked out perfectly. We're halfway in between both of our parents. Um, we have about three acres of property. Um, we are in a fixer upper home. That is definitely what it is. So it's been a lot of fun. We've been here almost a year now. So it's crazy that it's been almost a year of this. I know time goes so fast. I remember it was a big thing for you is like, where are we going to live? Because you want to be close to both of your parents. So the fact that you found a house like really in the middle of both was right. such a blessing. Yeah. And we definitely knew we wanted to be close to the farm because um, obviously Luke is going to be going back and forth there. We're in the thick of harvest right now. So um, my husband is gone pretty much every day until about nine o'clock at night. So 
it is just me holding down the fort here with the dogs now, but that should be over hopefully in a couple weeks. Um, and then we'll be in full swing house renovations by then. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are your plans? So how old is your house? Kind of give us the overview of what you're working on now. So our house was built in 1910, so it's over 100 years old. Um, actually, about um, half of the house is the original house, and then they did do an addition on the back. Um, I think that was in the 90s when they did the addition. Um, it definitely is like a nice addition because some additions you see, you're like, oh my gosh, that like obviously is like weird looking. So they did a really good job. Like you can't even tell like that it's an addition other than like the trim is obviously not like the old, old trim. Um, the house has so much character to it. Um, it has the original hardwood floors in the old part that I just love. Um, we did just rip up the bathroom floor down here and found more original hardwood floor. So that was really exciting that that was still in great condition. So we're going to go ahead and keep it since it's a half bath, but just so much character to it. We do have a lot of projects. It's about every room needs something. It's kind of like you open up something, you're like, oh, that's why they did this. They were covering up a problem. Like we did our dining room and um, there was the only, like, I think there's the kitchen and the dining room with drop ceilings. We took out the drop ceiling and we're like, Oh, that's why they put it in because there was a giant leak that they never fixed. So from the bathroom upstairs, like that's awesome. So it's like a booby trap. You open it up and you find something. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can relate to that. That was the same, like in our master bedroom. And luckily we didn't find anything under it, but they just like makeshifted a lower ceiling because all of the plaster right. on the up, like the tall ceiling had been right. falling down. So we're like, during a storm, they were probably laying in bed and just hearing plaster from the original ceiling, like smashing onto the ceiling they tried to makeshift. Like, why would you not have just fixed Why? It? Yeah, but like that's what we ask ourselves a lot. We're like, why? Why did they do this? And um, he has been in contact with the previous owners um, a bit. You know, this it was an older couple. They had lived here for 40 years. And the funny part is actually the people who originally owned it um, – is some family friends of ours from back in the day. They farm actually all the ground around it. And they, um, his grandpa grew up in this home. So he came by one time and, you know, was looking around and he's like, wow, it looks so different now. And just, it's kind of funny. So um, that we do know the people that um, it was in their family. So it worked out well. And just kind of interesting to see what it used to look like too. So. Yeah. So what have you been then doing outside? Cause I know you're super into gardening and we're going to talk about sourdough too, but talk about your garden. I know you've got chickens. What does that all look like? Yeah. So that was like kind of the biggest thing we've done here. We haven't worked too much on the inside. You know, it's been a lot of cosmetic stuff, but majority of our time has been spent outside working on the house. So when we moved in, I mean, I don't want to diss on the previous owners, but I mean, the yard was insane. So, I mean, you name it, you could find anything out in the yard. Like it was a, a death trap out there. There was wire. There's like all these like stakes out in the yard. I mean, they had said that they hadn't gone in the backyard in five years, the last five years of them living here. And so it was mostly just like damage control when we first moved in. So we actually had a real mild winter, so it worked out well. We did a lot of trees. It was super overgrown with trees. Um, it is sad. We are probably going to have to redo a lot of the trees around the edge because they planted them close together and then never thinned them out. So the bottom of them is like pretty much dead. Um, so we are going to have to do some uh, tree, more tree removal. We had kind of the 
everlasting flame here for about three months with the taking trees out and, but it's looking so much better. We've really cleaned it up. And then the garden, you know, that was a big thing for me to get the garden area set up. So we've got that set up in the chicken coop and we've got our chickens. And um, that was kind of our main focus since we moved in. So what ha- what did your garden set up look like this year? I know you're not a first time gardener. For me, it was all very new. It was kind of trial and error, but I would say you're pretty seasoned. So what did that setup look like for you this year? Yeah, so we um, did fence it in. Um, I think our, I think it was 45 by 50 was the garden. So which is really good size. Um, I did want it nice and big because I like to have, you know, a lot of room for stuff. I want big walkways, things like that. Um, and I had done gardening since I was in high school. Um, I did a big garden um, at my parents' house in high school and definitely had more of that itch um, than even my mom did. And But I now got her into gardening too. So she's been doing it the last few years. Um, and then we had done uh, some small gardens out in Nebraska, which failed epically every single time. Um, but so we, yeah, 45, 550, my husband and father-in-law did the fence for me because the it wasn't even necessarily keeping out predators. It was keeping out the dogs. So they just run and frolic and then they would just like fly right through it. And I'm like, okay, we got a fence of it here. So, um, which is nice now. Um, we didn't really have not necessarily like a big, like game plan for it. I kind of did it in corners of where I had sections. We are going to change up the layout next year. We're going to do long rows along the whole thing and just kind of change some things up. We did do a garden too at the farm and we're going to just switch things around. Like we're going to take all the viney stuff and take it over to the farm because that stuff just goes seriously insane. I mean, you think you have a lot of room and that stuff spreads like mad. So we're going to take all the viney stuff and take it over to the farm and just let it go crazy there. But we didn't really have anything else that we were going to do with it this year. Um, The garden is set up, you know, we tilled it. We did have obviously the first year garden kind of problems with weeds. There was a lot of weeds that come up, came up, you know, we just had to be diligent on going out there and hoeing and pulling weeds. Um, we actually really didn't use any um, weed killer on it, which I was so happy about. I, you know, I'm not necessarily like, you know, full organic, like gardening, but you know, I like to obviously not use things if I don't have to. So um, we did pretty good with that actually this year because we kept up on it by hand. And I was telling you earlier, I'm like, by August, it was like mayhem. We had gone on vacation for a week and I came back. And I'm like, wow, we were actually doing something out here. I know. Yeah. When I, cause you had also posted a video of your garden. It was beautiful. Like there was not a weed in sight. And I'm like, how, oh, how do you make it look so good? And you're like, well, I'm literally out here every day. And I'm like, and that would be why my garden does not yes. You know, yes. Well, and honestly, like I told Luke, I'm like, there's sections of the garden that look just beautiful, you know, and that was like, it was weird. It was like one area would look so good while these two areas looked awful. I mean, like, or they just, everything looks puny still. And then it would kind of shift like, wow, this area looks really good. And then that area, wow, that's like crazy. So it was kind of nice, but I wouldn't say the whole garden ever looked the, what they see in the magazines, like at all. I'm like, no, you just look at that section over there. If you come over. Yeah. Everything else looks terrible. Oh yeah. I know. I always, when I see like those Instagram photos of gardens or even like the magazines, I'm like, they have a garden. And they have a gardener there every single day, multiple times. Right, right. That is not them doing that. That cannot be one person maintaining all of that. No. So you planted things in your garden. Can you kind of share what you planted so then you could preserve it later? 
Yeah, kind of my big things I planted were tomatoes um, for like sauces, salsas, you know, we did tomato soup, all kinds of things, juice. Um, we did a ton of potatoes. That was a big thing for us because potatoes we can store in the basement. This house did come with a nice um, dry basement and we kind of cleaned it up. So that's where we're storing everything. Um, what else? Uh, jalapenos were a big thing for me because I, I don't eat a lot of jalapenos, but I love it in my bread. We do jalapeno and cheese bread. So that was a big one I needed. Peppers, onions. We did some dry beans so I can can some beans this year. We did black beans and then just like a soup bean. I think those were the biggies. We did a lot of cabbage too. And I made a bunch of sauerkraut. Um, we did a canned coleslaw that turned out really good and beets. I have probably 40 jars of beets in the basement. So oh my God. <laughs> the beets did really well. Like we did a second round of them and then they, they were like ready to go in 30 days. I'm like, okay, all right. I didn't need this many or this big of ones. So yeah, the beets did really good. Luckily we like beets. Yeah, no kidding. That's not something everybody would be into, but I, I will say my grandma made some pickled beets and I'm like, okay, I can see why people like these now, like on salads, mm -hmm. like Yes. I, I don't know if I'll be planting beets, but I understand, you know, like, yeah, why, why you do plant them. When it comes to canning, can you explain the difference of hot water bath canning and then you have pressure canning? And mm -hmm. I always think yeah. knowing the difference there is so confusing, especially when you're getting started. So can you explain the difference and why you would use one method versus the other? Yeah, hot water bath, um, you're going to use that on high acidic foods. So like tomatoes, your jams, jellies, pickles, you know, because you're putting vinegar and everything. Um, and then that is just like submerging your jar into boiling water, and then you set it for a certain time. Um, it's very easy. You can literally do it in a stock pot as long as you have a rack underneath. So you don't really need any special equipment. Although I will say, you need a jar lifter. I made the mistake my first year ever. I'm like, I don't need a jar lifter. I have tongs. And you know, oh, I smashed a boiling thing of jam on the ground in the kitchen. I mean, glass everywhere. It's boiling. Oh, and then it's splattered, of course, everywhere. So no, uh, jar lifter is a big deal. Um, and then pressure canning is going to be where you're doing your low acid foods. So think like, you're doing broth, you're going to be doing potatoes, beans, things like that. So, and it seems scary. I was terrified. This was my first year doing the pressure canning. I was terrified. I'm over there like reading my manual like four times. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I'm standing back thinking it's going to like blow off the top. Um, but it actually was very easy and um, there was no problem to it. It was very easy to figure out. Um, and actually you use like three quarts of water versus filling your whole pot of water. So it was kind of nice not having to use a ton of water. Mm -hmm. So those are the difference between those. Um, and two, if you just get a pressure can or two, you can actually use that as hot water bath because it's just a stock pot. So you just don't put the lid all the way on and you fill it up with water. So you really don't need a ton of special equipment for canning. Okay. So what other supplies would you need then to, like, if I just got a pressure canner, I could use it for both. I mean, that's right. That's so smart. But yeah. what equipment other than a jar lifter do you need to start canning? Um, so yeah, jar lifter, you obviously need, um, so your glass jars and your rings and lids. I bought a lot of my jars, even off Facebook marketplace. Like I'm telling you, I got, I felt like I robbed this woman like two months ago when 
Um, I bought like, I think 200 jars off of her. She, like she used to be big into candy. I paid $40 and I felt like I robbed her and they were like in perfect condition. They had the rings on them. I'm like, are you sure you don't want more money? <laughs> like this is insane, but no, she, she was just so nice. And biggest thing to look for is, you know, you kind of rub your finger around the top to make sure there's no chips. If you have some little chips and nicks and stuff, it probably will not seal correctly. So I even do that every time I go to do um, another round of stuff when I'm washing my jars. I'm kind of making sure there's no chips or cracks in anything because you do not want one exploding in your canner and it will happen. Um, What else? I think that's kind of like the biggies that you need. I mean, you can get other stuff that kind of makes it a little easier like you want to debubble your canning stuff, you can just use a knife. You don't need to get a little special tool to do that. Um, they do have a little magnet thing that you can, you know, pick your jar lids up, but you don't have to. Um, it does make it nice, but, you know, you can just grab it with a fork out. So um, you can get all these other special tools, but biggies are going to be, you know, your pot. If you just are going to do a hot water bath or just get a pressure canner and then you can use it for both. Um, I do have like the Presto uh, 23 quart canner that you can double stack jars in. So it's really nice having the ability to do a lot at one time. Um, And then, yeah, your jars and rings and lids. And I always do new lids. I have never reused lids. I know some people do. Um, I'm guessing you can if like you literally had no other option, but I always get new lids for them. Yeah, that's what my grandma has told me too. She's like, if you're going to go to the work of doing it, then get a new lid because you don't want to risk it. Yes. Well, and just like you're going through all this work, like I would cry probably if like everything went bad. I would I would seriously cry after a full day of work and all of it went bad. Like, well, yeah, it is. It's so much. It's so much work. It's also rewarding, right? Like I know. Yes. You'll have a lot of food probably going into the winter and even spring that you'll be able to enjoy your garden produce for so much longer because you are canning. I did want to go back to for people that maybe have never heard about canning or have never seen maybe their grandma or their mom do it. How do you know that a lid has sealed? So you want them to sit in a draft free area for 12 to 24 hours. I always go the 24 just because you don't want to jack with the rain just in case it will kind of mess up with your seal. What you do. always press the top, you know, it shouldn't pop on you if you're pressing the middle of the top. Like if there's a pop, it is not sealed. Also, what I do is I always store my jars without the rings on them. So you can physically see if like it has popped off um, when you're just doing kind of a check. And then before I put it down, I will grab the uh, lid, grab it by the lid and lift up the jar. I mean, you're literally grabbing it by your I guess, I mean, it should be a a pound or so, but it will pop open if you grab it and try to lift up if it's a bad seal. You know, some people are like, oh, how do you, don't you worry about botulism, things like that. I mean, be smart. If it has a weird smell or if it has a weird look to it, do not eat it. Um, I mean, think of people have been doing this for hundreds of years. Okay. And, you know, you could probably get sick by lettuce from the store. So I think, you know, use your discretion. If it looks weird, if it smells weird, don't eat it dump it. But we've never had an issue with making ourselves sick. Yeah. So what are some of your go-to maybe recipes that you can, or just, you know, you don't have to go into the depths of the recipes, but ideas that maybe if somebody has extra tomatoes or if they have extra jalapenos, what are some recipes they could make? Um, My best friend has been honestly YouTube for different uh, canning recipes. I have a few people that I love uh, watching their canning ones. Um, 
a simple Alaska, I think is one of them where they live up in Alaska, this couple, and they do gardening, canning, and they do kind of off the wall, you know, recipes. That's where I did my canned coleslaw was from them. It's like a beet and canned coleslaw. Um, it was really good, but it's not one you're going to find in like the ball canning book, obviously. And then that 1870s homestead does a ton of canning videos. She has so much information on there. So them, I usually kind of follow along for um, different recipes and, you know, you're seeing it visually in a video. So it's like, you're getting repetitively like this. Okay. This is how you do it. I mean, that's how I think now I feel so confident canning. Cause I remember when I first started, I was like, okay, follow this, follow these directions. I don't even have to think about it anymore. So, um, you know, you get your recipe, you kind of can just go at it. So those are some great resources to use. And then I do have the ball canning book recipes. They have a ton in there. Um, tomatoes, you know, you're going to be doing sauces. You can, I didn't really follow a recipe for my sauce. I just kind of was like, Oh, garlic, onion, um, you know, whatever, salt, pepper. I don't do sugar in it. Some people like it with sugar. Like tomatoes are plenty sweet. You don't need a bunch of sugar in it. Um, and just kind of, you know, you're tasting it along the way. Okay. Does it taste good? We'll warn people about tomato sauce. I did not know how long it takes. My gosh, start that early in the morning or prep the day before because not joking. I was there till 10 p.m. at night, finally canning it. Oh, because you God. just have to let it thicken. So you're just boiling off this water. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, nobody told me. I mean, I'm sure they did. Like, I obviously am dumb and didn't figure that out how long it took. But yeah, I was like, okay, next time start this in the morning, not at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. I know we, I did that this first time with my grandma and I think I drove her a little mad because I don't measure anything. Like I'm very much (laughs) a little salt. Let's do a little salt. Yes. Yes. So you have this recipe down for next year. And I'm like, Nope, I don't. It's just just up here. I'm like, I just like go with what I think it needs. But one thing we did to help with the water is we actually did like a wire strainer and we poured it. And so we got a lot of the juice off. I mean, it's yes. obviously super thick, but I, I mean, we did it in a morning. Like I, I think right. I have the patience that you've been blessed with. Like I'm like, you know, it's thick enough. It'll still taste fine, but <laughs> that is something. Well, and I've seen some people like they'll literally like they'll, they won't even make it thick when they do it and they'll can it. And they're like, well, I'll do it later. You know, when I'm cooking it, I'll let it thicken. And I'm like, what? Like when I'm cooking, I want it as simple as can be. I want it ready out of the jar. Like I am not going to want to do this work later. Kid me, I'm already into it. Let's like, let's do it. I think like what I realized for having a garden this first year is you truly don't want anything to go to waste. No. You realize how much easier cooking is in the winter when you've already got cooked green beans in a can, you really just like warm them up on the stove. Perfect for a meal. Or we did canned we didn't can corn, but we like did the whole process of freezing corn. Yes. It's, those yes. are things that just make it way easier in the future when you're actually making a meal is if you take, you know, some time to can things or freeze things. Right. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather take the time now and it'd be really easy later. Like, that's why I was telling you earlier. I'm like, I have like 13 gallons of tomatoes in the freezer. And some people are like, that is all I'm going to do. I will figure it out when the time comes. I'm like, no, I will be dealing with those. They will be in some form of easy to use tomato products. So I'm like, I'm not going to take the time later to be like, okay, well now I'm going to make my sauce and it's going to be a 45 minute meal. Like I'm not going to be cooking for 45 minutes. So no, make it easy now and you'll really enjoy it later. 
Yeah, I agree. So I want to get into talking about sourdough because for those of you who don't know, Emily was my sourdough dealer for a long time before <laughs> she moved away. And I was like, I will literally pay you to mail me bread. And I believe you like looked into it and it would have been a ridiculous amount of money to just Yeah, mail. like Bailey, make your bread. You can do it. I was terrified of starting and I because and then you would explain it to me and it was just sounded so complex. I'm like, I just cannot visualize what this is going to look like. So to get into sourdough, Emily gave me some of her dehydrated starter. And so that's how I started my own and we got into it. But I want you to talk about why you started making sourdough in the first place and maybe the benefits that you've noticed that have come from starting. Yeah, we were, uh, you know, that was typically our bread of choice then is was sourdough. That's what we liked. And, you know, if you look on the ingredients, it's like, I don't even think it's true sourdough, what you would buy at the store. Um, it's literally has like sugar. I think they literally just put sugar to make it give it that kind of tangy flavor. So I'm one that like, I like being in control of my ingredients. I like high quality things, but I also am obviously not you know, I don't have a ton of money to spend on all this. So I was thinking, okay, what is the best way to get really good stuff for really cheap? I mean, making your bread, I think we figured it out. It's like 60 cents a loaf. I mean, who can't afford that? So I just like, was like, I'm bored. It's winter. I'm going to make some sourdough. So I started my starter. Um, I would say it probably took me a good two, three months before I felt like, okay, this is really good bread. But also in the beginning, we had no idea like what it should taste like. So we're like, oh, it's so good. And looking back now and some of my beginning loaves, I'm like, they were probably horrible. They probably were like little bricks and just, it's, it was kind of a fun little project. And obviously I had nothing better to do. We were living in Nebraska in the dead of winter and like, we didn't have property then. So I'm like, Oh, what else am I doing? But I just like knowing that the ingredients are what I would want. The process of it is, you know, it's fermentation. So it's better on your gut. It's broken down the gluten a lot more. It's easier to digest. Uh, that was a big draw for me because um, we don't eat like a ton of bread, but um, I was wanting, you know, the stuff that we do eat to be good quality. I mean, as probably you too. I mean, you want it to be the best quality you can get. Yeah, I know. And that's what I noticed too. When I got bread from you, I used to get sourdough from hy V, but I've done a little bit of research into like what big grocery stores add to their sourdough to make it tangy. And like, sometimes it'll be natural flavor natural flavor is not actually natural so it's like right they're adding in flavor to make it tangy so you're not actually getting like the fermented benefit so right. when you know you started i'm like this is what real bread should taste like well now we joke we're like i remember i would bring some to my mom you know bring some to my grandparents and even luke he was like we are bread snobs like we cannot eat anybody else's bread like even going out to restaurants you'd be like oh it'd be like you know, the best bread, they would be homemade, which I'm now I'm like, I don't think it is. And um, I'm like, we are bread snobs. We can't even eat bread anywhere else. Like we're bringing our own loaves in our bags on traveling. We're bringing our own bread. It's just kind of funny. I know when we went to uh, Jackson Hole this last summer, I brought my own bread and it lasted us the whole trip. And I'm like, yes, I'm, insane. I'm literally in the back of my car in our little bear <laughs> cooler slicing like yes I'm insane I'm insane yeah you're like I kind of lost my mind but I think it's okay right this is normal right this is what normal yeah this is normal I know it's just so much better it really is it is and then like 
anytime I'm like, there's a bread product like we need. I'm like, let me see if I can make that. Like my dad always makes fun of me, but now it's like, he can't have regular ones either. So I think we were at their house and he's like, Oh, you know, like let's have burgers tonight. I'm going to go up to the dollar general and get some burger buns. I'm like, you are not, I am going to make them. Okay. I'm like, how much time do we have a couple hours? I was like, okay. Um, I'm like finding this yeast recipe. We had them. They're like, okay, these are the best buns we've had. Like, and now we're all like, well, we can't have any like regular ones anymore. And it's like, we keep starting this. We're like, "Mm, no, not good enough. We got to make this ourselves. And it's just like, so I said, we're total bread snobs now. You know, I truly think sourdough is kind of the gateway into. Yes. (laughs) This whole life. Yes. Oh yeah. You start your first love sourdough. You're, you're a homemaker. You're a homesteader. Yes. No, not really. But. I mean, kind of like even with our tortillas, I make homemade tortillas now with my mm-hmm. sourdough or just sourdough muffins, like pumpkin muffins. Right. It's like, it just really, I think for me, and I'd be interested to hear for you too, but it's made me like crave quality food so much more that like, I just don't want to make something that is not high quality. Like it's just like flipped right. a switch in my mind. Like I don't want to use poor ingredients. Like I want everything to be high quality. So it tastes really good. Well, and that's like now, like we literally don't ever go out to eat. Like it has been months since we have gone out to eat. And it just makes me laugh because like my friend and I went out, I think it was her birthday in July. And we went and like, it was kind of like a bar and grill. It was fun place. You know, we would have used to love that food, but we ate it. It was really good. And then I'm not joking. This is where it's like, you feel kind of crazy. You're like, people won't believe me, but we're both like, wow, I just feel achy. Like, you know, I'm like my joints ache. I think it was the food. Cause they're just, they're probably cooking it with oils that you don't normally cook in. You know, your body just gets so used to the good stuff that you have other stuff. You're like, I don't feel good. And I you know. just feel kind of crazy, but it's nice when you're like, I was with her and she's like, Oh, same. She's like, I do not eat this way normally. Yeah, I know. And that's where really like when I think to even the coaching I do where food and having people like you share your story is so valuable because it's so closely linked to inflammation and how your body feels. Right. Food is truly like such a powerful tool to either feel really crappy or feel really good. And like Nate and I have noticed that too, like going out to eat doesn't really feel like a treat anymore because not that mm-hmm. I'm the best cook in the whole world, but like, I still think it tastes better than when we go out to eat. Yeah. Like we, we don't go out to eat, you know, anymore because it's like, Luke's always like, I mean, you make it better. And it's like, where we're spending an arm and a leg for stuff that's kind of, you know, low quality and we don't really enjoy it anymore. So it's like, I'd rather take the time, you know, we can make it kind of a date here, you know, we're doing it together. It's, and like people will make fun of me, like, well, why do, why do you spend all that time doing that stuff? I'm like, seriously, what else would I be doing with my time? I don't know. Like, I guess this is my hobby. This is what I enjoy doing. Exactly. So let's back up with the sourdough. So you have your sourdough starter. Talk to me about what the purpose of that is. What do you do every day with your starter? Well, like sourdough starter is technically like an active yeast. So um, it's a living thing. It's your, it's kind of gross to think about, but it's like living bacteria. Um, so you have to feed it daily if it's going to sit out because I mean, they start eating all the, I'm trying to think of the word for it. What is it? It's like, yeah, it's, it's yeast. I mean, it's eating your flour. It has to feed it to keep it living and be healthy. 
So um, if you don't want to feed it every day, you know, I just stick it in the fridge. If I'm going to be going somewhere, it kind of, it's cold. It's, it goes a little bit dormant. Um, they really say you can't kill your starter. You can always bring it back to life, you know, with a little love, but really you just keep it out. You feed it um, that, and it has to be active to make your bread. So kind of like if you use like commercial active yeast, you know, you have to put sugar and water. That's how it activates it. So this is strictly just water and flour and you just have to kind of take care of it a little bit and it will make bread for you. It takes longer, obviously, but I think that's kind of the key is it's breaking down a lot of that gluten. It makes it a little bit better for you than just kind of a quick rising bread. Mm -hmm. And a big piece of keeping your starter alive, is it truly having like the unbleached flour versus bleached? Because I know that's a big thing I see in recipes always using and for health reasons too, I'd say unbleached, but is that well, like bleach flour? It can like kind of uh, slow down. I- I've never tried bleach flour, so I've never really tried it to see if it is true. They say unbleached flour, you know, it's going to be the best for it because it doesn't have other things in it that can inhibit your yeast growth. Um, they even say, you know, using filtered water because you don't truly know what's in your water that could inhibit um, the growth of it or kind of change the bacteria of it. So you could be adding things in it that you really don't want in it. Um, and it could inhibit like your rise and fall of your starter. So if you're having problems with it, you know, you need to look at what kind of flour you're using, make sure you're using a high quality flour, then making sure you're using like, I would say filtered or distilled water. So you talk about feeding your starter, how much flour and how much water do you feed it every day? Um, If I am just going to feed it and let it rise and not bake with it, I'm just going to do 50 grams of each flour and water. And I would say getting a scale for if you're doing sourdough is key. I started out just doing like, you know, the cup to cup stuff um, was kind of following that. And it definitely improved when I got a scale and was measuring things out with grams because it's a lot more accurate. And then on days that I'm actually wanting to make bread with it, um, I'm giving it a bigger feed because you want more of it, obviously. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in every recipe is different. It will tell you how much to feed it before you want to make bread. I'm typically doing 120-ish of each water and flour if I'm going to do bread because I usually do two loaves at least at a time. Okay. And with that too, if you're just feeding your bread, I know the part of like discarding half of it seems very confusing for a lot of people. Yes. Talk about what that looks like then, because I know you have half of your starter, you dump half of it. What do you do with that or where does it go? So like my discard, um, I you really only need like a tablespoon or two to keep your starter going. So I always think of it like people, if they used to do the Amish bread, you had to do something to it every day. You only need a little bit. So the discard then is whatever's left, what you've taken off. So Um, I just keep that in the fridge in a jar in there. Sometimes all of a sudden I'll have like four cups of discard. I'm like, shoot, I need to do some recipes with this. So you can look up sourdough discard recipes and you can make practically anything with them. You can really do whatever our favorite I think is the pancakes. So that is one of our favorite discard recipes. And I think it's a little better for you because you let it sit overnight, which was so weird to me at first. You're like, you're putting milk flour and discard and you're just going to let it sit on your counter for 12 hours and it's not going to poison you (laughs) it's like what is this but I'm going to try it yeah I know I know that's the thing too with the discard 
can't you also like if you your start something with your starter if you maybe needed more starter you could put it back on the counter and you could feed oh, yeah. it rise like it would turn back into an active starter oh yeah yeah like just think that discard has always been starter at one point like if you for some reason like i always try to leave a little bit left in the jar after i make bread because you can just make that into more starter but if you ever like run out but you have discard in the fridge Never fear, you have sourdough starter always at hand. You can always just refresh it. It may take a couple days, but you always have some. I know. Sometimes that's my fear because I got my starter from you and I'm like, okay, I can't like, I have to always have a little <laughs> Can't run out. Yeah. Like I can't run out, especially if I don't have any discard in the fridge because then it just puts right. you in a panic. I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I do have like dried stuff still because I'm like a weirdo and I'm like, I have to have something like just in case, like for some reason I'm dumb and am not thinking and don't have anything left. But I always feel like I have like discard in the fridge. It never fails. All of a sudden I'll like go through a bunch and then I'm like, where did like these two cups of discard come from? Like they're like in the back shoved behind things in the fridge. And yeah, I know. Okay, so supplies for sourdough, because I know there's lots of different recipes that you can make with your starter. I'd say a traditional sourdough loaf is probably the most typical. I know you said you added right. jalapenos and cheddar to yours. Right. But what supplies do you need to get started with sourdough? You really need nothing. Like when I started with it, I had nothing crazy. Like you can get all the fun stuff. And I have gotten some things over time. They do make it a little bit easier, but you truly need nothing besides flour, water, and your starter and some bowls. Really good things to have are, you know, I do like my little bannetons that I put them in to shape them. But when I first started, all I did was a little mixing bowl and a tea towel and you kind of flour it on the inside. It does the exact same thing. Sometimes it is just, a, it shapes a little bit easier in my little bannetons, but you don't need those. Um, everything I've pretty much gotten on Amazon. You do need something to score your bread with. So you can just literally use a razor blade. I've seen people use a really sharp knife. Razor blade does work better. Um, I have that now. And then a scale is going to be kind of your biggest thing. So the scale was really what helped me figure out kind of the, the problems when I was making bread. You're just a lot more accurate. And majority of your recipes are going to be in grams. So it's just going to be easier. I know. I was so resistant to getting a scale. I think it's just kind of intimidating. I'm not a big math person. So I'm like, right. like how am I going to figure that out? It yeah. You're like, what the heck? Like, is this? I know. And now when a recipe is not in grams, I get ticked off because I'm like, no, it's so much easier. Like, why? It is. You don't even need like utensils. I know. You're just I pouring it in and it just like works out perfectly. You're like, I don't need any scoops or anything. I know. I know. I do need to invest in some official. I feel like I've been doing sourdough long enough that it's not just like a one time. Okay. That was a fun hobby. Move on. Right. Cause I'm still using like a mixing bowl and a towel. And I literally went to Walmart. You need the bannetons. I know. And I went to Walmart and bought those razor blades. Well, and I would even say like, you do not need a mixer even like I did not have a mixer for probably the first like eight months. And I was kind of even resistant to getting one until Luke was like, happy birthday. Here's your mixer. I'm sick of watching you like get a full arm workout trying to mix all this bread. It's <laughs> like, I'm like, actually, I really do like it. Okay. Like, thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. So what would you say sourdough has taught you? Patience, because it's like a full 36 hours. That's why I always tell people, I'm like, give me 36 hours notice if you need bread. But yeah, it's like a full 
thing. Um, and just, I think really just to slow down and, you know, take time with something. And I've always been one that I kind of like having little hobbies. Like, I mean, I knit, I sew, I'm kind of like an 80 year old, things like that. So this is so up my alley to do sourdough bread. Um, but yeah, it really just teaches you patience and, you know, good things, come, good things take time. So you can't have good bread in 20 minutes. Exactly. I know. I absolutely agree with that. It's like, it's taught me that's okay to slow down and be intentional yeah. with your baking and not feel like it needs to, every recipe needs to be 20 minutes or less. Even like with proofing it, I let it sit for a full 24 hours in the fridge. Oh, absolutely. Before I bake it. And I'm like, it's okay if it takes longer. Like we don't need to rush some things. Like it's okay to be patient. And I, I would agree with that. It like really teaches you to slow down. When I even have seen some people are like, you have to do this, you have to do that. And honestly, I've seen sourdough done so many different ways and it still all turns out good. It's not like, okay, here's the schedule. It's, I kind of see it as an outline. Could you talk about proofing? Because that's a big piece of sourdough. So you kind of do your bulk fermentation. So you want it to get at least double in size. You're going to shape it and you're going to put it in the fridge. So that is when you're proofing it. I know it's just kind of, it's keeping its shape. You want it cold before you bake it. I mean, that's just going to, it's going to bake the best that way. And it's obviously the gluten is breaking down a little bit more. So the longer you proof it, I mean, honestly, the better on your gut it's going to be. And it will plump up a little bit more, but it shouldn't go crazy when it's in the fridge like that. You've done your bulk fermentation. It should really slow down and just pretty much create a shape. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I, I, I can understand that now. And maybe it's because I can visualize it too. But if anybody's right, like, what the heck does this look like? Also, you, I know you've recorded like reels on Instagram of you. Right. So you're a good resource for people to check out too. If they're like, I just need to see this whole process. You are. And I think sometimes you just have to jump into it and just kind of trial and error because Sometimes I, when I remember when I started, like I did a ton of research before, you know, Pinterest and Instagram were my friends. So I found accounts that I liked that were very informative. And I think I just kind of started trying things and, you know, I'd be like, okay, obviously this works better than this. You know, it's kind of trial and error on what works best. And everybody has a different recipe or protocol they follow, you know, find one that fits your schedule the best. I agree. With kind of rounding us back out to homesteading in general, have you always wanted to live on a farm, have a garden, make your own food? Like, has that always been a passion of yours or a desire? Yes, I would say if like you knew me from when I was a kid, I was kind of that weirdo. Like I always like, you know, my mom always said I begged her to be homeschooled. You know, I'm definitely more of the hermit. So being home and just doing this stuff at home is just so me. Like I I don't ever want to leave my home now, which is kind of, it can get bad. You know, you're like, okay, I obviously need to have like a happy medium, all this, but I think I'm kind of like curating my home where it's like, I, I shouldn't want to leave. You should have hobbies that you want to do here. Um, you know, I, I liked gardening even as a kid I did 4-H, you know, where I'm knitting and doing these sewing projects. We had animals growing up. We lived out in the country growing up and we had horses and chickens. So it's just kind of, normal. I wouldn't even say we're self-sustainable by any means. And I don't really strive to be self-sustainable. I kind of like the idea of being uh, community sustainable because you need people, you, you can't do everything yourself. And, but yeah, I would say anybody that knew me, you know, this is not totally like out of, out of here. Yeah. I remember when we would talk in like 
when our we'd be with our husbands too, they would just like roll their eyes, like, "What are you going to?" <laughs> At one point, they're like, "You guys need to stop talking and stop hanging they out." Would, yeah, you're like, this is obviously making things worse. Yeah, you're like, it's like, well, maybe we should get a, like, I want to get a cow, or I want to do this. Right. Like, I think that's when both of us too have kind of reined it back. Of like, total self sufficiency isn't the goal. I think right. the goal is to do what you can within your house in your yard. But then also, if somebody outside of your home is doing something and it's a service you can pay them right. to to have like raw milk or honey. You know, those are examples for us. It's like, I'm going to pay somebody who that is their passion. And right. for me, it would just add extra stress. Let me just pay them and use what they can provide for our house. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, you can't do everything yourself. And you need to kind of create this community where truly if things did hit the fan, you have that community to kind of rely on. You don't want to be that person that's all cocky and like, oh, I can do everything myself. I don't need anybody else. Truly, you you need those people to rely on and have kind of as resources. Don't tell Lick though. I mean, I do have ideas of Dairy Cow in our future. Very, <laughs> very much future. He's still so against it. And I'm like, come on, man. He was at like a work meeting like a couple months ago. And he's like, oh, I was talking with this one lady. She had a Dairy Cow and she was kind of telling me about it. And he's like, it doesn't sound as bad as I was thinking. I'm like, hmm, okay. All right, you know, but yeah, it's kind of that like idea of life, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, you know, obviously not now, but I'll go buy my milk now from a farm. It's fine. I know it's it and it really is creating that five to 10 year plan like we or right. I, I can't say we because Nathan is kind of just along for the ride and <laughs> bless him because he's an understanding husband, but I'm like, I want bees and mini cows and it's like, right. Financially, we've got so much at our house we want to take care of. We right. need our basic needs met before we go and buy bees or buy, like you said, like a dairy cow. So it's, again, it's like creating that plan. Like this is a long mm -hmm. journey. We're in the long game. Because, you know, if you got all of that within your first year or two of living on a farm, like what do you have to like look forward to? You know, you're just. Well, and that's the thing is I think people can get so wrapped up on Instagram. It's kind of making this this very oh my gosh, this looks like a fairy tale. Oh, they're out in dresses. They're frolicking. I'm like, I am not that person like out there frolicking. Like yesterday before work, I'm out there like doing my chicken chores and my little robe and my slippers. And I'm like, I'm hoping the neighbors don't drive by. Like there is no, nothing good looking about this. No, no. But they make it sound so good. I mean, of course, but then you're like, into it and you're like wow nobody told me about this no oh, in a long flowy dress and they've got six kids running around in flowy yeah. dresses and looking all pinterest perfect i'm like right that is not the reality for most people like for some people maybe that truly is and good for them right. but like, and i'll have to show you the video after we get done talking because i went out one day it was after a run i was in my red biker shorts <laughs> i had on my chicken boots i had on a floral like <laughs> didn't match at all and then I had one of those right. like those like bands that protect your ears you know like the warmers. oh yeah oh yeah and, like I sent a video to my family and I'm like I look like a second grader whose mom finally allowed her to dress herself like <laughs> yeah you're like I should not be allowed out of the house actually no, like I'm who like, is letting me look like this and so many people will be like you should record more of what you do day to day like outside with your chickens I'm like nobody really nobody wants, wants to see that <laughs> 
<laughs> no, and there's this one video, and I think you had sent it to me, and it was like me thinking I'm out in my garden looking all cute, and then the video has been taken of her. It's just like <laughs> it's too relatable. It's kind of scary. You're like, wow, okay, that's not cute, you know? Like this is nothing like I imagined it. That no. was like my mom and I when we got our chicks this spring. Like um, we kept them in the house then because we didn't have anywhere else to like. We didn't want to put them out in the garage. It was like still really cold then. And um, I don't know if you had this issue before with some of your chicks. Like when they get like the poop on their butt when they're like baby baby ones. Like you have to scrape it off or they'll die. And I'm like over there leaning in like our laundry room, like holding this baby chick, and I'm like wiping its little butt with a wet rag. I'm like thinking to myself, what has my life come to? Like, is this real? I like called my mom and she's doing the same thing. And she's like, yeah, I kind of like was questioning, like, what am I doing with myself right now? I'm holding these chicks and I'm cleaning their butt. Like, Sometimes I, you just think about it. You're like, what? So that's the stuff people don't tell you about. So warning to everybody. It is. It is. Or me having to splint a chicken's leg because it was broken. And yes. The other one. Like, those are things you don't see <laughs> because... Who wants to see them on social media? Like, it's not pretty, but, like, it's the reality. No. Everybody, I feel like I see these days, wants acres, and they, like, that's their ultimate dream. And it's, like, I hate to break it to you, but, like, the first year to 10 years to 20 years, like, it's going to look nothing like Pinterest. No. Well, and honestly, people with, like, their picture-perfect property, I don't know if this is what your guys' look like, but, like, one corner will look really good. And then you've got, like, just crap behind your garage, just We've got wood stacked up, you know, even just like random, you know, two by fours. I mean, you've got stuff like everywhere and you're like, this is not cute, but you can't throw it away because what if you need it for something? You know, it's like, I'm pretty sure that's what everyone's looked like. You know, there's no way it looks like a picture perfect farm with not all these random things laying around. Yeah. You're seeing a blink of the reality. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, such a good conversation. It's so informative. I feel like if I would have had this when I got started in sourdough and canning, it would have felt so much more attainable and not like something yeah. I would only ever see my grandma do. I have a signature question that I ask everyone at the end. And so on this podcast, we talk about how our purpose is not necessarily linked to a specific job or role but rather it's those characteristics that you possess that allow you to live a meaningful life. So Emily, what would you say is your purpose? Hmm. I would say um, maybe just like, I'm kind of that nurturing kind of caregiver person. Um, I always told people I wanted 10 kids, things like that. When I was little, you know, I think just now I've kind of find my niche, you know, of just providing food. I love feeding others. You know, I love baking things and taking it to people. So kind of just like my job is even, you know, still kind of in that caregiver realm. So I think just feeding others and nurturing them and giving things that I can provide, you know, in more heartfelt ways than just buying them something something truly, you know, from me. So I love it. So Emily, where can people find you, get connected with you, share your social media? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram. It's Messer Homestead. Um, I do have a few YouTube videos. Um, I have not been making any because those suckers are hard to make. I have a few videos on there, but mostly just Instagram. Um, And I'm getting better about posting more again. I've been in the thick of summer, so I've been bad. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. There's always that balance. But I feel like too, 
if anybody has questions about sourdough, if you're all right with them reaching out to you, I feel like you oh, are. Oh, absolutely. Ask. Like you just yes. know so much about it all. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here, Emily. It was so nice to talk to you. I know this has been a long episode, so I won't keep you too much longer. There's just a few things I wanted to remind you of before you head out. So if you are interested in following along with me outside of the podcast, you can find me at Nourish with Bailey on both Instagram and TikTok, as well as if you want to get connected, talk more about your health journey or things that you're experiencing in regards to nutrition, you can always message me um, on Instagram any of those platforms or find me at findyourdivinepurpose.com and we can get connected there. With that, let's go ahead and close today's episode in prayer. So dear Lord, just thank you so much for today and the opportunity to talk on here and connect with the person listening. Thank you so much for Emily and her unique purpose and how she's able to live that out and truly be such a light and someone that genuinely cares for other people and wants to just provide food and the services to them. Thank you for her gifts and everything that she shared today. I ask that you'd be with the person listening, that you keep them safe if they're driving or if they are studying or if they're going to work or whatever the case is, wherever they find themselves today, that they just feel comforted by you and regardless of maybe what they're going through, what they're experiencing, and that they know that there are people out there that love them and that you love them and that you are guiding them on their own unique journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So with that, I will talk to you again next Wednesday. Bye.